Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. The apostle writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm sweating just reading that. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been spending this summer looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in ancient Colossae, and we have seen throughout this letter that he uses theological truths to confront the imperial propaganda of the Roman Empire. These ideas that were commonplace in ancient society, that Caesar was lord of all the earth, that worship of Caesar was part of the patriotic duty of any Roman citizen, that submission to the empire was required for the sake of peace. In the ancient world, that's just the way it was. And Paul says throughout this letter that we, as Christians, we beg to differ. Paul offers an alternative vision of reality in which Christ, the Son of God, who became a human person and died to reconcile the creation to the Creator, rules over heaven and earth from God's right hand. And by his death and resurrection, Jesus has set us free from the powers and principalities of this dark world to live as children of the kingdom of light. This is our story, Paul says. Paul has been saying that this story, the story of freedom from human paradigms that hold us captive, the story of freedom for life as God intended, the story of reconciliation with God is our story. And the great soaring rhetoric that we've seen about the power and majesty of Christ so far in this series might make us disappointed when we get to this point in the letter where Paul offers this very down-to-earth, practical advice about everyday relationships. Because what Paul says here seems, on the surface, like the same old patriarchy, 
the same old oppression, the same old human philosophy that holds people captive, that Paul has set us up to rage against. After all that high and lofty talk about dying to vapid human philosophies that hold us captive and rising from death to spiritual fullness in Christ, is Paul's advice about how to be a good Christian really going to be? Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And slaves, obey your masters. It feels profoundly disappointing. I want to take you all on a tangent here that's not a tangent at all. Because it helps us understand a little bit about the context in which Paul is writing these words of instruction. And this might be a challenge for some of you. But I think that you can handle it. Pastor Carl spoke last Sunday about the idea of the paterfamilias, this Roman legal concept that the patriarch of the family, the oldest living male figure in a family, had absolute authority over the entire household, the power of life and death over everyone who lived under his roof. And this included his wife, his children, the slaves in his household. In the Roman legal system, everyone who lived under the protection of the paterfamilias was that man's legal property. And he could do whatever he wanted with them. He had the authority to do as he pleased. And for us living today... We might get the sense that like, okay, so this is a guy, he has a wife, you know, two and a half kids, maybe a nanny, right? But that's not the picture here at all. A, a, a lot of these Roman estates were like small towns with shops and businesses and artists and builders and construction workers. And the oldest living male of the family that ran this town, this villa, this small community, exercised authority over not only his wife and children, but his entire extended family, as well as any relatives that he might have adopted through the legal system of adoption in the Roman Empire, clients who he entered into business relationships with, like shopkeepers and artists and builders who made their living in his villa, and servants, whether free or slave. All of these householders lived and died as the legal property of the paterfamilias. And this is the challenging part. Because a lot of people that I know think that the Bible teaches that the man is the head of the house. But nowhere in the Bible do we find that concept. The idea that the man is the head of the house comes from the Roman legal system. It comes from Roman imperial propaganda, from the laws and codes surrounding this concept of the pater familias. That the man was the head of the house and that everything and everyone in that house was his 
property. And the legal extension of this, of course, which is what Paul's really getting at here, was that Caesar was the paterfamilias of the household of the Roman Empire. And everyone who lived in that empire lived and died under his authority, under his power, as his property. The Bible nowhere in all its 66 books repeats this Roman propaganda. And I want to be clear about that. The Bible does not say that the man is the head of the house. You will not find the phrase, the man is the head of the house, anywhere in the Bible. Instead, throughout the New Testament, in Jesus' teaching, in Paul's letters, you will find these household codes, like the one in our passage today, that recognize the legal reality of Roman household law while doing everything they can to supplant it, to subvert it, because it is a lie perpetrated by the powers of this world. And this is what empires do. They normalize things that are false. The ancient world normalized the lie that men must rule women. That parents must rule their children. That slavery, the ownership of another human person, was an inevitable reality of the way the world worked. But whenever power speaks the words, this is the way it has to be. We Christians say, we beg to differ. What are the lies the powers of this world tell us today? What about the lie of autonomous consumerism? The idea that we are first and foremost money-spending machines. That we express ourselves through the things we buy. This lie that makes everything disposable. Even relationships, even community, even human life. To the point where we come to believe that community is nothing but a hindrance in our quest for self-realization. What about the lie of global economic totality? The idea that no one and no place is off limits when it comes to making a profit. This lie that commercializes everything, exploits the earth's resources, fetishizes indigenous peoples as cultural tourist attractions and turns every corner of our world into money. To the point where we come to believe that things like sweatshop slavery are a necessary evil so that we can wear the latest cut of blue jeans. People of God, even today, we must be attentive to the schemes and lies of the powers of this world as they attempt to numb us into apathy 
and acceptance of injustice. Even today, we must keep our eyes and our souls attuned to the abusive power structures of this world and fight against them with the power of God's Spirit. Patriarchy, slavery, racism, nationalism, civil religion, white supremacy, these insidious forces are just as present, just as powerful today. So what is Paul doing here? After proclaiming a gospel of liberation from human philosophies that hold people captive, is Paul really just affirming the institutions of patriarchy and slavery? I don't think so. I think that what Paul is doing here is recognizing the reality of these social and legal institutions while giving Christians the tools to subvert them from within. And Paul's walking a fine line here because to openly proclaim a rebuttal of the legal system of the Roman Empire, whether around the family or around slavery, would have brought unnecessary attention to this young church that would have inevitably and did inevitably result in persecution. In Paul's day, there was no way to change these legal structures. There was no democratic process, no judiciary appeal with the authority to change the law, no system for holding power to account. That's obviously different for us today. But Paul walks a fine line here between recognizing the reality of these systems and challenging their foundation. What Paul does here is really fascinating, I think. He recognizes that the powers of this world give power to some and withhold it from others. And he goes on from there to challenge these positions of power. Husbands, fathers, slave owners to use their power to give life in the face of a system that brings death. To give freedom in the face of a system of oppression. Paul encourages those in power to use their power to empower those over whom they have authority in the name of Christ. And if you've been paying attention, you know why. Because this is what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the author of creation and new creation, the ruler of the cosmos, did not use his power to lord himself over us or to keep us down, but willingly gave up his power, became human entered into suffering even to death so that we might be reconciled to God. Jesus humbled himself to lift us up. This pattern of Christ's self-giving, other-receiving, sacrificial love is the pattern that Paul says all Christian relationships should follow. And so he says, 
Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The relationship between husband and wife in a Christian household should be built not on power, but on sacrificial love. Sure, Paul says, the law may give the husband legal authority over his wife. But a Christian husband ought not lord that power over his wife, but give it up in love, recognizing her as his sister in Christ, so that together they may serve the Lord in everything. Children, obey your parents as pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children so that they become discouraged. The relationship between parents and children in a Christian household should be built not on power, but on sacrificial love. Sure, Paul says, the law may give parents legal authority over their children, But a Christian father, a Christian parent, ought not to lord that authority over his children. But give it up in love. Recognizing his children as God's children. A charge and a gift. So that they may grow together to serve and love the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. And masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This one is good, because Paul is speaking double-speak here. Paul recognizes that the system of slavery is built in to Roman society. And that he can do nothing to change that legal system but to change people's hearts. And so he does a number of really cool things in his instructions to slaves and masters. First, he dignifies slaves by telling them that their labor, their unpaid work, is God's work. In everything that they do, they work for the Lord. Second, he promises slaves an inheritance from the Lord. When under the current legal system, a slave was more likely to be part of inheritance than to receive one. And finally, Paul reminds the masters that they also have a master in heaven. And he does not show favoritism. It might seem like all of this is 
fancy talk that Paul offers empty promises of pie in the sky when you die, by and by. But Paul's words to slaves here serve a double purpose. On the one hand, they're meant to encourage slaves who labor, who live under the dehumanizing reality of living as someone else's property. But on the other hand, these words read in the assembly of believers serve as a reminder to Christian heads of households that all those who live and work under their authority are created in the image of God, are their brothers and sisters in Christ, and will receive the same inheritance together with them of eternal life. That they should treat them as their brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does all this mean for us today? What does it look like for us who live in a society where the social systems of patriarchy and slavery have at least legally been dismantled? The fact of the matter is that even today, our society affords power and privilege to some and withholds it from others. And we ought to use the power and privilege that we have been given to lift up those who are trampled down by society. For those of us who have legal authority over others, we ought to follow the biblical principles laid out here to use our power to bring life and flourishing to those under our care, not suffering or death. Parents and children, employers and employees, Landlords and tenants, lenders and borrowers, politicians and constituents. These relationships in a Christian imagination ought to be built on sacrificial love, not power, but the self-giving, other-receiving, sacrificial love of Christ. We serve one another as fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, partnering together in love to fulfill his purpose and pursue justice on this earth, living already today in the light of the kingdom that is coming. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, O oh Lord our God, as we, your people, hear these words of instruction to your church through the Apostle Paul, we give you thanks. We give you thanks because you have shown us by your example and equipped us by your Spirit to give up our power in love to those around us. Lord, it's not easy 
We know that. But we pray that you would give us the courage to live the kind of self-sacrificial love that we have modeled for us in Christ. Because we know that by his death and resurrection, Christ has dismantled the powers of this world. And that the authority that they give us is a false authority. Meant to oppress. To take life. And so, O oh Lord, we pray that instead you would fill us with the power of your spirit. With power that gives life. With power that shines light in the darkness. That proclaims resurrection in the face of death. That proclaims freedom to the captive, sight to the blind. O Lord, as we profess our faith in you, we pray that you would fill us with courage to live boldly the self-sacrificial love of Christ. Bless us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name.